0: Welcome to Making Our Way, a podcast where we have conversations about some of the toughest and the best moments in life. This is a place where we hear from people who've created a way forward in spite of, and sometimes because of, the struggles they face. My own journey raising a child with a rare disease, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, is the inspiration for this. But this isn't just about Duchenne or my story. We all have something we're carrying, that's just life. So this is a place for all of us for conversation, for connection, and to gain strength from each other. We are each other's keepers, and we can also be each other's teachers. We are better together. I'm your host, Marisa Penrod. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Making Our Way. Today, we're talking with Rob Dubé. Rob is a business leader who started his entrepreneurial career by selling blow pops out of his high school locker with his best friend. After college, he went on to start a company that was named in 2017 as one of Forbes' top 25 small giants, an honor given to the best small companies in America. So by all accounts, Rob was successful, but he had struggled with stress and anxiety He made his way through that with self-awareness, a whole lot of hard work, and ultimately with meditation. Over the years, Rob met many other top-level leaders in business, sports, and the military who also meditated, and he eventually wrote a book called Do nothing. It's a fascinating read that explores the benefits and the power of mindfulness meditation for all of us, whether we're leading a company or we're leading a family, or we just want more peace in our lives. Rob and I talk in this episode about stressors, about perspective, about embracing joyful times and difficult times, and the tangible impact of meditation beyond the actual time that we spend meditating. Rob explains that meditation is the gateway into showing up as a better person in our all-around life. And he even leads us through a short meditation session right in this episode. So if you're unfamiliar with it or you've never tried it, it is right here. You can do it as you're listening. And Rob walks us through it. He is incredibly calming. He's wise and he's kind. And I hope that While you're listening, we can all find just a few minutes to pause, to take a deep breath and to really soak this in. Hey, Rob, it's good to have you here today. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me, Marisa. I can't tell you how grateful I am to be able to spend a little bit of time with you.
0: Well, the feeling's mutual. You know, you and I were introduced by a mutual friend and I didn't really know you or know that much about you. But our mutual friend had said to me, you've got to meet Rob. And he started to describe you. And he said, he's got this incredible book. It's called Do Nothing. And when he said that, I thought, I don't know who this Rob guy is or what he's all about. But if he's telling me to do nothing, I am in. I'm I'm all in for that. I'm not sure what it means yet, but I definitely want to know more. I also want to talk to you about how we can take the principles you talk about in there, and apply it to our entire lives, friendship, parenting, caregiving. That's extra special to me, being a Mm -hmm. caregiver myself, to my son, Joseph. So to get us rolling, will you share with us a little bit about the Do Nothing book and your philosophy on that?
1: Sure. Thank you for asking about that. Definitely something I've become passionate about through the great encouragement of wonderful friends and people with a lot of curiosity. And if I could Start with a little bit of context. Growing up, I had different challenges in my childhood. It led to a great deal of stress and anxiety. I got married in my early 20s. I started business with my best friend just around the same time, also causing a great deal of stress and anxiety. I was trying to figure out what wasn't quite feeling right In my life, I'd gone to therapy, which was quite useful, helped me understand some things better, but I was still struggling. And I read at that time, which was in 2004, about mindfulness meditation. It wasn't as sort of well-known or talked about as much back then. But I decided to try it and, and see if it would be useful. And I found that it was. And so I began a journey where i took on a regular meditation practice i started going on some silent retreats which i still do to this day twice per year Mm -hmm. and i found over time and i'm still on a journey i think for most of us it's a lifelong journey that the act of stopping and doing nothing paying attention to our thoughts without judgment and bringing ourselves practicing i should say coming back to the present moment can be quite useful Mm -hmm. once we are out and about in our busy lives, because that's when we actually use that skill.
0: So I'm fascinated as you're talking, it's sparking so many questions for me. I want to ask you this, when you talk about doing nothing in meditating, I think of sleep. And I would think of a nap. That's one of my, when people say, what are your hobbies? I can list a bunch of them that I always add in taking naps. <laughs> it does help me. It is very restorative and and it gives me rest. What's the difference between actually sleeping and just calming your mind to where you're just quiet with your thoughts and not not really doing a lot of interacting?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I agree with you about sleep. And that is one of the several important things that we need to be focused on in our lives. And we could talk more about that later if you'd like to. But when you're sleeping, your mind is resting naturally. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you go through a meditation process, mindfulness meditation is what I'll speak most about. You are fully awake and aware. And that is the biggest difference. Because in meditation, you're not really resting. It's different. You're practicing. And what you're practicing is paying attention to your thoughts, allowing them to be without judgment, and then utilizing your breath as an anchor, coming back to the present moment right here, right now. For example, you and I are speaking to each other in the present moment right here, right now. During the course of our conversation, one of us may have a thought about something that we should have done earlier in the day or the week or that we need to do later. At that moment, we're not in the present moment. Mm -hmm. We're someplace else. We're in the past or we're in the future. Mm -hmm. What we're working on is coming to the present moment. And when you can come to the present moment, you can appreciate things in a different way you begin to realize it's all you really have.
0: I feel like I just got caught, like you're reading my mind, like I'm thinking, that is so true. I think we all do that. And I've actually been in conversations and I'll be like, oh, hold on, I just need to write this down on a napkin or on my (laughs) notepad because our minds are racing all the time. So we hear a lot about that, don't live in the past, don't live in the future, live in this moment right now. What do we do if the present moment is really crummy? When I hear that, I'm like, okay, that's great if things are wonderful, but what if you are you know, in the deepest throes of grief or someone has just really disappointed you or, or hurt your feelings or you're just in turmoil trying to make a decision, how do you do that? And mm. not kind of fight back against that, those uncomfortable present moments.
1: Well, there's no simple answer to that question. And there are all sorts of places on the continuum of you need serious help, Mm -hmm. that side of things. But let's work in the middle for the sake of this conversation. When we're dealing with a challenging time, which happens all the time because that's how life is. So there's your starting point. Mm -hmm. You just know you're going to have challenging times. So when they come, you don't look at them as an annoyance You look at them as simply what happens. And you realize that not only do challenging times happen, but really wonderful times happen as well. And you look at wonderful times in the same way that you look at challenging times. It's just life happening around us and to us. So when we can begin with that in mind, we may be able to have a different relationship with things that are challenging or things that are wonderful. Mm -hmm. Because when things are wonderful, we want to grasp on (laughs) and have more of it. When things are challenging, we want to push those things away. But that doesn't work. We know we can't push challenging things away. We have to confront them and allow them to be and then maybe take action if Mm -hmm. we can, if there's anything we can do about it. And if there's something we can do about it, we should. And if there's nothing we can do about it, well then, maybe we can ask ourselves why we're so caught up in that challenge mm-hmm. because there's nothing we can do about
0: it, right? Or how do you work around something? The thing that I have to think about a lot is that I like to figure out how we can take these principles and we can apply them to their really good times. And I know you said sometimes you just you need an extra help, where it might be you need you know medication or you need therapy or mm-hmm. you know the problems aren't necessarily going to be solved by quieting our minds and by meditating. But I think for me, you know, what I deal with with my Joseph with a, a catastrophic diagnosis, I don't ever want people to think that we're flippant about the gravity of that, right? And the enormity and the, the grief that goes with it and the struggle. But I think what has helped me is just a, a real, like, this reality check of what can I not change? And what can I impact and what can I change? And, you know, the reality is for some really horrible things, I lost both of my parents within the last five years and was one of the primary caregivers for them. I can't change that Joseph is diagnosed with Duchenne, but then the work comes in when we have to say, hey, but I can decide on this, right? And so for me, that's where I look at things like quiet and meditation and counseling, and I think... That's where we can help people understand. We're not saying it doesn't hurt. We're not saying grief isn't super heavy, that horrible things don't happen. It's just how can we walk through them in the best way possible, still having a life?
1: Yeah. First, let me just say that I don't come from a place as a professional. I'm simply a regular person who's had a life experience found something that was useful, noticed it was useful for other people and others may find it useful as well, but others may not. So So before I say anything, I just want to caveat that. And when we have certain emotions, especially things like grief, those emotions are there to serve us. And if we can embrace them to a certain extent, we can find them to be quite useful I like to use this example that I learned somewhere along the way, where we have all these emotions that come at us. And some are the types of emotion like grief or frustration or anger or things of that nature that we don't really like having the feelings of. Mm-hmm. And others are, you know, ecstasy and joy and these other emotions that we do like and we want more of. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is visualize bringing them all to the table, literally bring Mm -hmm. them to the table. We're all sitting to the table and you're at the head of the table and you're welcoming them all equally because they're all part of you as they are part of every one of us. And they're all here to serve us. And when we can say, I know frustration, I know you're here to serve me. I appreciate you and while it might cause me some angst or anxiety or pain i'm okay with you being here right now and by the way i have other emotions on the other side of the table that are Mm -hmm. also useful and you welcome that and now you're not pushing it away when we push it away somehow it gets stronger when we embrace it somehow it it settles down a little bit, but it takes I practice. I do want to say that th- this, these things take a lot of practice and a lot of self-compassion.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. So I want to go back now a number of years because you you came to this practice of do nothing and, and finding those moments of quiet, you know, not when you were 15, not when you were 20. You are a businessman. You founded and run an incredible company named by Forbes, you know, as one of the top 25 small giants in the country. I mean, really impressive in big business. And I think what's fascinating to me is how you talk about that. There are a lot of people in that same position where maybe everybody's not talking about it, but They're using these mindfulness techniques as well to get through the day, to be better leaders, to be more peaceful, to have a higher quality of life. Talk to me a little bit about your evolution as a business person. Legend has it you started in middle school. I don't know if you want to tell that story about the the blow pops in the locker.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is true. My best friend and I started selling blow pop lollipops out of our locker in ninth grade. We would buy them for a nickel and sell them for a quarter. And one of the reasons I love sharing that story with people is because I barely could get the words out of my mouth before I see someone in the group, or you know, even if it's one person saying, I did that too, but with you know, Kit Bar, my best friend Joel Perlman is, is his name. We started our company Image One out of college, as I mentioned earlier. Obviously, we had never really run a company aside from these side things we were doing in in high school and college. And as I mentioned, it was stressful. And one of the reasons was, is we just didn't really have the mentorship or the roadmap for how to be good leaders. We were just trying to go out there and make things happen. I refer to it now, the way we ran the company pretty much up until we sold it in 2004, was command and control, which means Rob and Joel are in charge and what they say goes. (laughs) (laughs) And we would shut the door and make decisions and then come out and say, these are what the decisions are. But something didn't feel right about that to us. But we just didn't know any better. We had this unique opportunity in 2006 to buy our company back You mentioned Small Giants, the Mm -hmm. Forbes Small Giants. list. There's a book called Small Giants. And I had read that book, which is a book about all these companies around the country, organizations, actually around the world, that just really care deeply for their people first. And when I read it, I thought, wow, you can run a company like this? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited Mm -hmm. about it. So we decided that we would lead with genuine care. So our team members can look back on their time with us and say, boy, I'm glad I was a part of that team. That Mm -hmm. was a a really special
0: time in my life. Now on paper, you were successful. You guys built an incredible company, highly regarded, attractive to somebody else to purchase. So by traditional standards, it was successful, but it didn't feel right. So back in your college years, when you had that entrepreneurial bug, did you ever think that you would acknowledge your stress and anxiety and look for something to help with that? and you would find it in meditation? And did you ever think that you would be running you know one of forbes twenty five top small giant companies? And really having the philosophy of leading with care. I mean, this is not the kind of stuff that I think a lot of us in our age, in our 50s, (laughs) that we were ever trained on or thought that that would be a way to lead.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the answer is easy. It's definitely no. I could have never imagined. I didn't even know what it meant to lead in general. We didn't have goals. You know, We were driving down different roads every single day without much of a map. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn that over time. And sometimes in my life, I have found that with these great challenges and pain come the solutions. And Mm -hmm. so that was just part of of my journey in business.
0: Sure. And I'm glad it was because I think you're (laughs) impacting so many people. And you've also found a community of business leaders. Will you share with us some other people that you are now friends with, but that you ran into or just by kind of accident, you were saying, I got to take a break at lunch to meditate. And they're like, oh yeah, me too. And you, you started to realize slowly that you weren't the only one doing this.
1: Yeah. Once I got more comfortable with the idea that meditation was useful, I felt very comfortable speaking with people about that. And I did learn that other people that were in positions like myself, entrepreneurs or CEOs or executives were also doing it. And the more I was vulnerable about that, the more I learned of people at the highest levels in major corporations Mm -hmm. that were doing it. And somehow that helped me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, I look back on it and I needed that then. I don't need that now. I learned of the CEO of Aetna at the time, which is now owned by CVS, he was and is an avid meditator. You know, many of the tech companies, Silicon Valley, not only do the top leaders and executives there meditate, but they teach it to their team members. They have workshops. So, from a business standpoint, I really started to understand that this was much more prevalent. I also learned that it was happening in the military here Mm -hmm. in the United States and in the UK. And so I guess I always think, wow, military people are pretty tough. You Mm -hmm. know, if they're meditating, it must be really useful.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that. So share with us when you talk about the research, what are the benefits, you know, scientifically, physiologically, what happens and what's the impact on us?
1: Yeah, Well, simply stated, I always like to talk about, you know, our brains are wired a certain way Mm -hmm. and we begin to change the wiring and that's that wiring that brings us to the present moment and has us less focused on the past and the future and being able to learn We do learn when we're studying, reading, anything we're doing in our lives, we are learning and our brain wiring is coming together in a certain way. Now I'm oversimplifying the way I'm sharing this with you. So it's understandable. So we can relearn things in our lives. Things like, as I mentioned, coming to the present moment and being really grateful for this moment, for example, we might be experiencing some great challenges in our lives, but we might be sitting in a very comfortable environment mm-hmm. where we have all the things that we might not think much about, like food and shelter. So, you know, those are things we oftentimes lose sight of, understandably so. But when we have cultivated our meditation practice, we are relearning how to appreciate this moment and the challenges that might be coming along with this moment.
0: So Rob, is it kind of like muscle memory, right? Mm -hmm. So the more you do meditation, when you have those situations, does it become a little bit more automatic to just have a different response to whatever stimulus that is? We're kind of training your brain.
1: That's right. There's this moment between stimulus and response. You mentioned a couple of Mm -hmm. the words in there, and this is a, a famous quote, usually attributed to Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl is a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, in line seeing his family members go the wrong way sadly, and wondering if he would Mm -hmm. be going that way as well, but somehow trying to find meaning in all of this. So one of the things he, he talks about is this moment between stimulus and response. And and it's really a great thing to think about because it's exactly what happens. I mean, to go back to a simple example that many of us can relate to, we could be in line at the grocery store and somebody's Mm -hmm. taking too long and we're in a rush and that's a stimulus and we're getting anxious and irritated and come on come on but then we through our meditation practice we start to notice and hopefully very quickly like we're talking a millisecond like oh wow look what's happening i mean this mm-hmm. is kind of funny i'm actually in in line at the store and i'm getting irritated because somebody's taking too long right like really i mean i could be 5 minutes late to where i'm going it's right. not the end of the world yeah some and people you... are
0: hungry tonight right <laughs> some people can't go to the grocery store and buy groceries right so you're reframing
1: and then you respond differently and that takes a lot of practice and i do believe that For most of us, regular people, this is a life's journey.
0: Sure. And I think, I think too, what hits me with what you're saying is we think of the grocery store example, we can kind of check our own response and our own behavior, but also we can also have compassion for the not knowing. I mean, after what I went through with both of my mom and dad in the final years of their life recently, and what I go through with Joseph, I know there are times where I've been distracted in the grocery store line. I might've been in this express lane with 17 items instead of 15. I probably have done that, not on purpose, but I hope that somebody would extend me grace. And so I think, you know, what this leads to is just everybody being a little bit more graceful and, and peaceful. And mm-hmm. I know there's a saying that says, you know, peace starts with individuals, with each person. Mm-hmm. That's how we could have the, the real dream of, of peace is everybody's got to handle their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to think there's a long-term impact just on our whole demeanor and on the people we're around.
1: At the end of the day, you're right on because we start to show up in this world with a whole different energy Mm -hmm. especially when, you know, some of those types of things, these simplified examples that you and I are sharing really don't get to us in the same way that maybe they did before. And then you build on that. You become a better human being and you can do this obviously in so many small and big ways as you make your way through life.
0: So here's what I want to ask you about to get kind of to the, the nitty gritty here is how do you meditate? Because you say in your book several times, meditating is easy, doing it is the hard part. So <laughs> it's establishing true. that practice. So I think that a lot of people think meditation, there's like a magic formula. That you mm-hmm. have to know certain mantras or you do it wrong or you do it right. So what are the basics?
1: Yeah, for sure. I love that question. There is no doing it wrong. If simply finding a little bit of time to sit quietly, either with your eyes closed, which is how most people go about doing it, or maybe with some people prefer to keep their eyes open, but they gaze forward with kind of a fuzz, one of those fuzzy gazes and just focusing on your breath. So I'm going to take you through it right now to be properly set up. And then your listeners can actually try this. Some people sit on a floor, like on a cushion, but for Mm -hmm. this purposes, what we'll talk about is if you're sitting in a chair. And so you'll sit in a chair with your back away from the back of the chair only if that's comfortable and then you'll rest your hands gently on your legs and these are the points of posture that i'm going to take you through for the proper setup and you're going to bring your focus and awareness to your feet and your feet if they can reach are firmly planted on the ground grounding you with this earth so this is a time where you can actually be aware of your feet in the sensations of your feet. Okay, Rob.
0: And I think I think it's your voice, but I also feel like just the exercise of getting into this position. I literally feel like I'm I'm already breathing slower. <laughs> so good. Okay, are we done? Is that it? <laughs>
1: no, there's there's more. I'm just but teasing. Wait, you. There's okay, more.
0: There's more. All right. What what so, do we do next?
1: Yeah. So follow along with me. So your feet are grounded on the floor, and now you're bringing your attention to your hands and the sensation of your hands on your legs. Just noticing that. And now you bring your attention to your posture. And so you're sitting upright, but not too rigid and not too soft. Just somewhere in the middle. Just find what's comfortable for you. And now you'll bring your chin down slightly. Your eyes will gaze forward two to four feet in front of you. And you can close your eyes and now you'll bring your attention to your breath and you'll follow the sensation of your breath into your nostrils, into your nose, kind of like what that feels like as you breathe in. You noticing, does it feel cool? Does it feel warm? And then following your breath as it makes its way through your body And wherever it makes sense to you, just breathing normally, it's coming back up and back out of your nose and feeling the sensation of your breath as it comes out of your nose and what that feels like. And you'll just follow that path, the breath in and the breath out, breathing normally. And as you sit, you'll quickly notice that you are having many thoughts. And this is completely normal. That is what our mind is for. It's always thinking. It's our ability to notice at this moment that we are thinking potentially about the past, or the future. And when we notice we're thinking, we might even say something like thinking, And using that word as an indicator to come back to our breath and just following our breath in and out, breathing naturally until once again we notice we are thinking and then coming back to the breath. And after some period of time, maybe it's two minutes or five minutes or ten or whatever feels best to you, You simply open your eyes or bring your eyes back into focus and notice the sensation of your feet, sort of wiggling your toes and the sensation of your hands and wiggling your fingers. And then just gazing around and bringing yourself back into the room or wherever you might be and reassociating yourself with your environment and Just giving yourself a little gratitude for taking a few moments to do that.
0: Mm, That is beautiful. How often do you meditate? So I meditate
1: twice per day. I meditate when I wake up in the morning. It's the first thing I pretty much do. And then before I go to bed in the evening, I meditate. That is the rhythm that works for me. But there are many rhythms some people find time at lunch, some people, you know, have a break in the middle of the morning, etc. The important thing that I always like to share is it's not when, it's that, meaning Mm. it's that you make a commitment to doing it every day. And it helps if you can do it at the same time every day. So you kind of know that's your time. And it's great if you have a spot, you know, but that's not always possible. You know, we're all on the go and we're busy, et cetera. So if you do choose to do it, find your place. A lot of people have kids, dogs, things like that. I have those same challenges. You you just try to figure out
0: what works. So I think what is so powerful about this is that it's free, it's portable, it's risk-free and that you can't fail. You can't screw it up. You can't do it wrong. It's private. Nobody really needs to know that you're doing it. So what strikes me when I hear myself describe it that way is that I really don't have much of an excuse (laughs) to not take advantage of something that could be so potentially powerful and to try it. I did want to ask you, because you, in your book you write about when you kind of really started adopting this practice, I think you went into your office at home. And at first you, you were like, well, my kids and my wife know if the door's shut, don't bug me. I'm working, <laughs> but you, <laughs> That's right. you kind of were a little hesitant about telling them you weren't telling them the door shut. Cause I'm meditating. Mm-hmm. I think there is an old stigma that, that still follows this forward. Mindfulness has been around for thousands of years. That's true. This is nothing new, but how do you encourage somebody who really, you know, kind of doesn't, isn't sure. Yeah.
1: You know it's interesting, and I think it speaks a bit to our the way our society is now. We're so busy Mm -hmm. that we feel funny when we just stop and do nothing. Which you're. I and by the way, do nothing is really a play on words because you're not doing nothing when you're alone with your thoughts. That could be a scary place sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you're really working. You're practicing. But I think in my case, and in many others that I've spoken with over the years that I've been talking about this with people, is they feel funny. They have a to do list their significant other may feel like they're not stepping up and doing their part. I mean, there's all kinds of the kids want to play. They might see you just sitting there and think that's odd or something. Mm -hmm. And so I went through all those same kinds of feelings. And, you know, what I realized was they were just big stories I was making up in my head. And once I just said to my wonderful, wonderful wife, who has supported me in anything I've ever wanted to do, but for some reason, I just didn't feel comfortable saying I'm going to go sit in, in Focus on my breath for 10 minutes or whatever it was. And I said, You know, I'm going to shut the door. I want to get in a regular routine with this. And she said, Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Fantastic. And when I said to my kids, Hey, when the door's shut, this is what's going on, unless it's an emergency, you know, it's just a little bit of time. I'll be out soon. They just,
0: Oh, okay. That's what dad does. They probably like meditating, dad.
1: (laughs) They've come to appreciate meditating, Mm -hmm. dad, better.
0: (laughs) 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 So on the back of your book, You write, as business leaders, we are so often called to do things, make decisions, fix problems, manage money. And when I read that, I think as parents, as (laughs) friends, as caregivers, we are so often called to do things, make decisions, fix problems, manage money. But the irony is the more we do, the less control we have. Effective leadership requires composition, control, and focus. And I think effective parenting requires composition, control, and focus. Effective friendship, effective love, effective caregiving requires composition, control, and focus. So I think what is so powerful about the practice you've personally created and how you share it with other people is that you came to this because of some things going on in in business, but it's really applicable just to life. Mm-hmm. So would it be fair to say it's really a one-size-fits-all?
1: Yes. And I say sometimes it's a gateway into the real work, which is how you're going to show up as a better person in your all around life. You know, having been in the business community for 30 years and being a part of many peer groups, I have been able to see firsthand how people are struggling in their lives, where on the outside, it's as if everything is going great, especially in business. The bottom line is we're all human. We're Mm -hmm. all the same and we all want the same things. And so, you know, I always say if you're going to come to the retreat or if you're going to come and listen to one of the talks or read the book, you might be coming with the idea that it's going to help you be a better leader and thus help you in your business. Mm -hmm. But what I know and what you will find out is that you're just going to become a better person in general. Mm -hmm. And that means your significant others, your family, your friends, the community is going to love you in a different way, that you will be showing up in a different way.
0: Mm -hmm. And the grocery store and the the freeways will be a a kinder, gentler place for all of us. (laughs) Exactly. So so now I just said the great thing about meditation is it's it's free, it's portable, you can do it anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I do want to give you a minute as we wrap things up. I do want you to just share with us the whole idea of a silent retreat and who comes and finds value in this and what happens when you're there. Well, I
1: would start going on these retreats. I noticed when I came back, I had a different view on things. We haven't had the opportunity in our lives pretty much since we've been born to stop and slow down. We've been go, go, go from the outset. It's really remarkable what happens over that period of time. And you come in with all the stuff on the surface. And after a few days, that sort of goes away. And all of a sudden, those things don't matter quite as much. New things surface up that have been in you and are affecting you in your day to day, some are more painful than others, and some are very joyful, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And then those sort of make their way through. And then you have a sense of peace. And that's what it's really all about. Now you know what it feels like. And that's why retreats can be quite impactful, because all of a sudden, you know what it feels like. It's kind of like, I don't play golf. But people tell me, once you hit the ball a certain way, you know how it feels. So Mm -hmm. you don't even have to look. You just know you hit a great shot. So you bring that feeling back with you. Mm -hmm. And now that you know what that feels like, you can draw on it in your everyday regular life. And so I put something together based on feedback I had from people. So I've been running this retreat out in in Colorado each year. And I can say it's 100% of the people go away, changed in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You know, one of the things I think is so important to stress is that you don't have to be in crisis to want to go on a silent retreat or to meditate. I mean, I always use the analogy and I say, we don't wait to change the oil in our car until the engine burns up. Right. So it's good to do that. And I think you have a line in the book that says, if you're stressed, meditate. If you're not stressed, Meditate more. Right. (laughs) So it's like our insurance policy, and it's just part of taking care of ourselves in what is, you know, a pretty chaotic, stress filled, busy, busy world. Right. So, Rob, you're an inspiration. You're incredible. It's very nice. I'm so, so grateful for you just to share what meditation is, what meditation isn't, a little bit of that technique you walked us through and just kind of help people get started if they're interested in doing that as a part of something in their toolbox to help take care of themselves. I Mm -hmm. appreciate you being here and just sharing your story and your spirit with us.
1: Thank you so much. I really am grateful to you for having me and for the thoughtfulness that you went about your questions and your preparation is always meaningful and really for the work that you and your organization do in this world and that you do with your family. Thank you Thank so you. much for all that. I'm grateful to know you.
0: Thanks, Rob. And, and the same from me to you. It's good to know you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Our Way. If you enjoyed this, please share it. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Production support was generously provided by PTC Therapeutics and Sarepta Therapeutics. Thank you for making this possible. If you'd like to learn more about the work that Team Joseph is doing to support the Duchenne community and to make the world a better place, please visit us at teamjoseph.org.